Southside Worldwide. Er digitach is er eerstes is Shinya Glad Radio. Testemione an ele Glad Radio. Los sonidos de la comunidad Southside desde Radio Glad. Southside Community Sounds. Cifravam farmatia i pozaprosu. Me Glad Radio. You're listening to a Glad Radio podcast. You're sounding very uh, husky today, Charlotte. Do you know what's really weird? I was at this gig last night that I do believe you were also at, and it kind of involved someone that's maybe been in the podcast. A podcaster, yeah, that is why I'm sounding quite sexy. Where today. were we? Tell them. We were at the um, sponsor name here, Hydro, last night. Ovo. Uh, what is Ovo? Energy. It's an energy company, isn't it? Ovo? This actually sounds like one of those really cat candid adverts. <laughs> um yeah, okay. Well, there you go. It's an, an energy company. How topical. But yeah, Audrey Tate, hammering the drums on the uh, the arena stage for Franz Ferdinand. Proud as punch. Yeah, they were I, amazing. I had a big daft smile on my face all the way through. She, she and the whole band were fantastic. It was amazing. Amazing to watch them. I, did, I managed not to greet on her afterwards. I was, like, I just, I was just so <laughs> proud. And I uh, kept it together. I was very um, detached. and I was... Completely embarrassed by you screaming that you knew it the whole way through the show, though. <laughs> yeah, but like by forty-five minutes in, I didn't have a voice left. <laughs> she plays my band, so she does. <laughs> I just started doing uh, a wee letter A with my fingers instead. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Shining it into the lights, like yeah. It's like, oh. yeah. Um, I swear she waved at us during it. She looked directly in she my eyes. Right and at and me. She and looked right at me. There was thousands of people around me, but it was it was us. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it was great. And it was. I, I'm absolutely made up for it. We should take this little time to thank people for yeah. listening and for the lovely messages that we've both received from people tuning in and giving up their time to listen to. Uh, it's been it's, the reaction to the podcast has been so lovely, and thank you all for you know spending those forty eight minutes to hour and a half with us uh, so far. It's a it's a lot of fun to like make, but it's also really nice to see that people are actually finding it interesting and getting something out of it. And thank you also to those very kind um, patrons who've signed up on Patreon dot com to support us in in making this. What's it called? Patreon. Yeah, it is. I need to, we need to do a new advert because uh, I think. Despite the fact that I was sincerely getting it wrong at the time, it's now it's wearing thin. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So much. So much. Much. ASMR. <laughs> David, have your heart burn. Have you guys ever been on tour with someone who's not from the UK? Yeah. yeah, 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 right. They don't know what meal deals are because they're not a cultural institution, so you have to explain what a meal deal is to them. And it's amazing because they're like, you can see the hero's journey from, oh, that sounds quite intriguing to them checking it out and going, this is awful. I never, I don't want <laughs> I any. Want, mm-hmm. Yeah, just going, this isn't a sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> this is not a sandwich. It was a round in a pub quiz I did two weeks ago. It was like photos of sandwiches, and can you tell us like where the meal deal's from? Wow, that's so specific. How good at it were you though? Like worryingly good. There you go. There like it's probably my strong. <laughs> now. Get that on the CV. I know. Okay. I find that like everyone, even if they hate meal deals, is drawn to one in particular. I found it really sad when I missed the commute during COVID. I was like, I missed that specific terrible plowman sandwich <laughs> that you only get okay. in Boots. It's it is, Boots is the best one, I think. Exactly. Yeah, this one's from Boots. This mangled box from yesterday. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, then we could try to get some money off boots for this. Ring, it, ring an endorsement. Hashtag ad, hashtag gifted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that, uh, does, that hoisin uh, vegan wrap does not look like it was gifted. It looks like it was booted down a flight of stairs. It absolutely was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just dill kicked it to me, like, eat something or you'll fall over again. Hello, and welcome to Still Doing The Music, Guy, A new podcast that will hopefully give you, the listener, an insight into parts unfamiliar. There are plenty of podcasts that talk about the music and the process. But we're going to talk around the music and shine a light on the bits that don't get discussed so often. We're not going to bore you about spreadsheets and heavy lifting. Although there is so much of that. We're going to talk to objectively successful independent artists and find out how they cope with a constantly changing industry. 
how they cope with having to be an accountant. An influencer. <laughs> and a manager, amongst many other things, on top of making music in one way or another. How they cope with the constant devaluation of recorded work and the harsh realities of touring. And how they juggle their other jobs and roles to literally survive as an artist today. Today's guest is a protest singer, visual artist and enthusiastic producer of Instagram Reels. A true genre spanner, his output is a glorious blend of R&B, Indian classical music and art rock. He uses his platform to speak out against casteism, particularly with his 2018 concept album, A Sacred Boar. He has a dram of whiskey every time someone pronounces his name wrong in the media. So please welcome into your ears a man whose liver we aim to protect, Kapil Sesesayi. So, Kapil, still, still doing, doing the music, music eh? eh? Absolutely. Good. Tell us everything you've been up to. What you Give up us to? a download. I've mostly been building up to the release of the follow-up to said concept album about the Indian caste system. It's a concept album about Bollywood and Indian cinema, but not as you know it. And it's coming out on the 18th of November. A couple of launch shows happening in Edinburgh on the 19th at Summerhall, Glasgow at Audio on the 23rd. But yeah, it's been a really exciting journey, not least because the kind of music I make changed so much, not least during a pandemic and all the other things that have been happening. Mm, so that that is this week for um, the people who have got involved with this podcast uh, straight away. So uh, where can they get tickets for those shows? You can get them on com slash live or over at Eventbrite. Amazing. Amazing. So um, we like to talk about um, you know the, the the fun the fun bits uh, in inverted commas of of, of uh, being <laughs> in italics a, <laughs> being being a musician and you know. You're a, a very kind of prolific poster on social media, and that does not necessarily mean that you enjoy it. But you actually ended up involved in a, um, a really interesting collaboration after some interacting on Twitter. Oh, is that uh, one rapper, Lil B, that you're referring to it, there? It is indeed, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that, it's one of those weird, like, it should seem more normal to me the more I think about it. The more I talk about it, the more... The less likely it seems that it happened, but it did happen. I look over the correspondence to remind myself sometimes. <laughs> but no, um, Lil B, um, he's a very, for those who aren't aware, he's a very prolific rapper from like over a decade ago who broke through because he would release so much music on MySpace that he'd have to make new MySpace accounts to hold all the music he was releasing. And he'd release like new music every half an hour throughout the day, every day. Mm. Um, the man wasn't really about the quality but in amongst all of his output is some incredibly influential you know dare I say stuff in that you've got everyone from Thundercat to Kendrick Lamar citing him as an influence and there's flows you can spot in his work going back to 2010 that you can find in mainstream rap and hip-hop now you know and um, I highly recommend everyone check out his uh, Vice mini documentary just talking about his outlook on life but He's a very curious guy. Like, he'll just tweet, what is this random? Like, the other day he was like, what is crypto? What happened to COVID? He'll just ask the, the questions, you know. And he asks, what's the caste system? Because I'd done the album about it, and I ran about it online. People tagged me in the comments and said, can we talk to this guy about it? Tell me what's happening. So I uh, ended up having, like, a, a direct discussion with him in, like, the Twitter DMs, and he kind of sent me his number, which I thought was peculiar, to say the least. Mm -hmm. But he was trying to say, he was trying to articulate in the way only Lil B can that he wanted to collaborate. Mm -hmm. And I, at every turn, thought, ah, this is just a joke or something, you know. I'm, at what point is the curtain going to pull and everyone's going to laugh at me for thinking I could collaborate with one of the biggest rappers ever? But it's like, yeah. um, I only had, I don't really, really got into his music by a the tour, last tour I went on before COVID, which is a tour up in the UK in late 2019, where I mentioned in passing that I knew of Lil B, but didn't know his music. So uh, my producer slash drummer, who was on, who's a massive fan, and ironically ended up producing this single, mm. he just didn't take no for an answer in that he played me maybe five, six hours of his music. And you're in a car with this. You're not going anywhere else. Mm. So in amongst all of that, maybe I'd been worn down by it. Because you know when you get worn down by things when you're touring around? Yeah. You know, I fell for it pretty hard. So to go from hearing it a lot on tour to the point where you're just quoting random lines from, to give some context, there's a little bit composition, if you want to call it that, where it's just toxicity by system of a down but he's just yelling over it and then he's trying to rap over it but the song's finished so it's just him rapping over nothing 
on paper, it's just it's really hard to describe that someone that prolific. It is one of those weird stop clock is right twice a day things where mm. if there's loads of clocks, he's right a lot, isn't he? So yeah. it's like the guy comes out with really, really interesting music more often than a lot of people give him credit for. And yeah, this track is no different. I told my producer, you know, Lil B, who I discovered via that tour, mm. he wants to collaborate. And he thought, oh, this is a troll, isn't it? He's just having his own. <laughs> There's no way this is happening. So we send him over like an unproduced, like, sorry, uh, a beat from the new album that hasn't come out yet. Mm. Like, uh, those who listen to radio stations like Kiss FM, etc., will know that they often release remixes of tunes before the original came out back mm. when. So in that vein, I thought, why don't we drop a remix of a tune featuring Lil B before the eventual album track that came mm. Out in October of this year, and uh, at every point we were like, "Let's just set ourselves up for failure here." He's not going to come back to us. He's going to be like, "Oh, Kendrick wants to collab. I'm not going to collaborate collaborate with Johnny Nobody from Scotland, am I?" But he sends over like a freestyle in 45 minutes, and he yeah. says, "And he says, oh, I'm not going to charge you that much for this.'" And I went, "Why is that?" And he went, "I just love India." <laughs> <laughs> and he types in block capitals, so everything is just like I can just imagine him shouting into like into his phone. So he he called it. Uh, he he named the stem "I Love India Lil B Verse Dot Wav," which nice. is my favorite name of anything ever. And then we produced that, sat on it for a little bit longer than I feel like we should have done, and just dropped it in May of 2021. And yeah, it's a journey that. How did this guy with 1.2 million followers even know I existed? Mm. But weirder things have happened, and I think it's very representative of me and social media, I think, mm. and the way I interact with it. That's, that's quite sweet, though, like someone earnestly just asking questions. Yeah. It's, it's, Learning. It's, quite, it's just quite refreshing, because like, by the time this podcast goes out, in fact, by the time we finish recording this podcast, Twitter might not exist anymore. That's true. Because, uh, yeah, it's... Um, Are you verified yet, or do you not have the eight pounds it would take to become <laughs> verified? I had to um, I had to pin a, po- uh, pin a tweet to the Kid Canaveral um, Twitter account mm-hmm. that doesn't get used anymore because the band doesn't do anything anymore. Just saying, if if this, if there's still a blue tick above us, it's not because we've given that cretin ascent. <laughs> I um, mean, that, that's a fair... Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that a thing? I'm not on Twitter. I don't. Yeah. It's, do it. Oh, it's someone best put it is like it's currently like watching a slow motion car crash and the car is full of glitter because it's actually quite nice to watch this, um, you know, absolute arse piece that has his apartheid gemstone inherited fortune and he's spunking it away on a, a vanity purchase. So, like, how. How is your general experience of social media? Because there's absolutely no way to get away from it as a musician. I have my frustrations with it, but I've had bigger frustrations with like the real music industry, if that makes sense, in that there are loads of things where people in the music industry look at what I do and go, oh, how did you do all this really big stuff before this other smaller stuff was in place? A really good example is... I you're, I think you're meant to showcase for people who aren't in the industry listening is it's like if you want to get opportunities to play abroad or to play bigger festivals even in the UK you typically want to play industry conferences or showcases like The Great Escape or Wide Days or that kind of thing but I'd, <clears throat> I'd already been to America and Canada before I had played in Scotland because I was so like unable to get an opportunity here that I thought I'm a kid of the MSN messenger generation I'll just DM until I get what I want uh-huh. so I'm just gonna hop on and you know, and like find communities that vibe with what I'm singing about vibe with what I'd like to tackle as an artist and quite often the people I would find who were kindred spirits if you want lived in Toronto or they lived in Berlin or mm-hmm. they lived in San Francisco and it was like if I need to go to them to find people who vibe with what I do I'll just go do that. And people, and because I had a lot of press in North America around a sacred board in 2018, South by Southwest were like, yeah, you should come play. Like, you know, um, it doesn't matter a lot if you've not established yourself in Scotland yet. But it was a weird, like, I would spend a disproportionate amount of time interacting with my fan base and people I connected with in the online and via social media. But I think that end of community building, I find really satisfying and very gratifying because it was almost like, I got noticed elsewhere and then Scotland started to take notice. And it's not, it's not like, it's a very difficult industry when you don't play certain kinds of music and everywhere is like that to some extent, but it can be really challenging as well, owing down to things like style and race and stuff like that. Conversations that we're now having, but they Mm -hmm. weren't happening a lot back when, you know, so 
to that end, the community building of like social media, I absolutely love and I swear by it. But there is definitely the unrelenting needing to be online and leading into the influencer personality thing mm. that I find quite repugnant because there are times where it doesn't feel authentic t- to me to be doing that. You know, it's like I try and lean into the whole because you need the metric I hear all the time is you post three TikToks every day. Yeah. You need to post a reel every day. Mm. And there's a way to make it work, but it doesn't avoid weighing down on you and you feel like you spend more time on editing than you do on improving your craft as a songwriter mm. and you know when you get people at major labels who are annoyed that they have to post a tiktok a day and it's like but that's all you've had to do today you've not been at war mm-hmm. it's just it's frustrating to listen to but it is an inevitable like you can't swim it's a tide too big to swim against isn't it yeah definitely i yeah. mean yeah do you two find it quite frustrating do you think i'm not a social media fan yeah i think i mean like anyone listening to previous episodes of this have probably gathered that i try to avoid it I yeah, find yeah, it yeah anxiety inducing i don't handle Absolutely. it very well so i've kind of mm-hmm. got in my head where i stand with it and i stand away but i do like i've had to watch you promote you this and also <laughs> bands like and i've, I've had to i've put through this thing you, where yeah. i've had to watch david do these things no but i've like artists that i work with i can see them like that whole thing of like been told by a label you've got to put you know we need three things out today do it and instead of going and sitting writing a song or being creative or doing the thing that you're here to do they're editing and like cutting footage from you know sitting in a van and like yeah, <laughs> you know uh, it's just like I think it's but it's interesting because I remember when I travelled to Ottawa to play a show and I counted it's like twenty seven hours from my door to there mm. and people came up and asked about a specific song on the album the album had only been out for three weeks mm. and they were like there's a song that you referenced Canada in are you playing it tonight and obviously make the joke well I'm playing every song off the album even if you hate it kind of <laughs> but. It was like someone had heard my music and had really vibed with it just after it had come out. And it's not a stadium full of folk or anything. Mm. It was like a 150-cap room we played. But it was like that person wouldn't have found me if I'd just been playing shows in Glasgow. You know, that person had to find me, like, via Insta. I think it's weird because... I have these incredibly humbling interactions with people. Like I was, um, I went to go up, I went to a friend's film screening at the CCA and someone recognized me from TikToks I do about Mm. like, like caste system and nationalism and censorship and stuff. And she's Mm. like, I watch all of them. I'm so, and this person was 17 and I'm just like, I'm taken aback that someone's even watching them because Mm. I've had a couple of quote unquote, I'm happy to go into it. I've had a couple couple of quote unquote viral moments with TikTok and things like that. But by and large, it's a slow grind of just, you work really hard on something and then there's a few hundred, maybe a thousand views when you wake up the next day and you're like, what was the point in that? Because people, because you think the gatekeepers like labels and publishers, they're not going to look at a thousand views and go, that's amazing, I'm going to sign you up. They're not going to care. I think I saw like a parody of that kind of interaction recently where it was like, oh, this band are like, they've networked their way onto Coachella and they're like, they've got a really engaged fan base on Discord and the label aren't interested. Mm. Oh, this Twitch streamer has a million followers and they're thinking of making music soon. (laughs) And they're like, is four million okay? And it's like, yeah. yeah. I'd seen seen a clip and I can't remember who the artist was, but um, like they were holding the microphone out to a crowd that was singing along. Mm -hmm. And then when the part of the song that had gone viral on TikTok ended, the crowd went silent. Stopped. And then mm-hmm. the guy on stage was like, ah, so you know that one from TikTok then? And then they just got on with the next song. I was like, oh. And I, I feel really it, removed from TikTok it's, because it's, I don't it, have one. It fascinates me because I think I follow a lot of like, sometimes I need a break from it, but I try and listen to the perspectives of people who've really used TikTok to their advantage. And it fascinates me that people will have like, loads of people, will, like, there'll be a festival where an artist who hasn't played live before, but is big on TikTok. Mm. They go on stage and the artist then the artist is playing in front of like a sea of people on their phones, not paying attention. Mm. The, TikTok, the TikTok viral song comes on and everyone loses their minds. Then the minute that song's over, they're just like, whatever man, it's wander off. So there is a shelf life to it that, I almost, that I'm disinterested in. I'd rather have a smaller, more engaged fan base than people who are just really into a specific thing I did yeah. and nothing else. See the, the viral moments that mm-hmm. you've had? Yes. What have you gained as an artist from those like specifically the viral. Like. So I've been quite lucky in that uh, I learned, <laughs> actually, because we're all the same age, the comedy of this will hit you as much as it hit me. But you, the people who give we're you. We're all the, really young, by the way. Yeah, we're all. 29. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's, all right, that's 31. really old, man. What? <laughs> I mean, what, 22? Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, so the average person who, like, coaches you on things like social media is, like, 15 years younger than you. And yeah. I, had a, I had a guy from Toronto where a lot of my fan base is coaching me for the past few weeks. And he he's South Asian, and he's, like, it's really weird because... Things about my social media presence that people here find kind of obtuse and a bit, oh, God, I don't know why you're raging about that. He is like, that's so good. See if you play here, man. People will, it'll just take off, just do this and do that. But he's given me loads of tips on how to subvert things that might be more likely to go viral to actually help me get people to shows. Because mm. at the end of the day, I want two things. It's I want to connect with people who like my music and I want to play to be, I want to play to people on tour. Mm-hmm. I'm a simple guy when it comes to that thing. My wants are probably very adjacent to yourselves, and that yeah. at the end of the day, like vanity metrics are meaningless to me. It's I totally. it's the only fact. It's just that the vanity metrics seem to be so important to the show, the people who gatekeep the shows you could play, or the labels that could put your stuff out, mm-hmm. or the distribution you could have. But to answer your question directly, uh, it's helped me in that. I've always had it. You always have to think that anything you post could accidentally go viral. So you have to have some key things in place. Like, don't talk about things out with the universe that your music occupies. So yeah. uh, my music is about a few specific things. So I try my best that not to get out of that too much. But if I, I have to, I try and make it so that I'm dressed in a way that's adjacent to the way the album looks or um, my album has a light box on it with the album name on it and uh, that light box is in the background of every TikTok I do mm-hmm. and thankfully the TikTok that went viral had about 100,000 views which is which is tiny apparently for virality. Virality is like tens of millions. I, I always say relatively viral so people don't laugh at me <laughs> but to me as a as a normie 100,000 views is a lot yeah, that's right yeah, yeah. but it's like it's me telling a silly anecdote right but the light box is in the background and loads of people have seen the logo but that logo is also on all the posters for the show mm. so anyone who's seen it will probably look at it and go oh that's that guy from that random thing I saw because of the light box yeah. that's less so me so it's definitely converted but I've not got the conversion in terms of things like Spotify streams yet, but it is stuff like ticket mm. sales go up from it, you know. Yeah. 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 That's interesting to hear, like keeping the what you present on social media in a, a very kind of specific universe because I don't put any of my friends or family or wife or anything. You married? Hey, you've yeah. already made that joke in yes, another episode. And I will continue to um, do that. So. And uh, <laughs> am I, oh, no, I'm becoming the wife guy of podcasts. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so, but like, I sometimes worry that then if I'm not with the band and if it's just like, because you know, the Instagram algorithm demands face. Yep. Uh, so sometimes I worry that I'm just looking at that meme. It's like my friends are here just out of shot, like also Nathan, laughing, more like Nathan for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, no, I'm the same. Uh, I don't involve like people who don't play music with me. Ironically, my wife does, but I don't do couples content and stuff because to me it just seems real. There's a certain kind of not to be ageist to everyone here, but it's like there's just a certain level of don't do that. Like the whole like cringy couples content thing if you're a musician it just comes off like why are you doing that yeah. <laughs> like it's it's just um it's not for me it's more kind of like um i've chosen to reluctantly put my face on these things and uh-huh. be like hello this is my public image and it's like i don't want anyone else to be involved in that because it's like they they, they don't make music they're not choosing to but occasionally it's like why are you not taking a photo of both of us? It's like, well, because, you know, it's my private life's not... Did you write the album? <laughs> no, it's not that, but it's like my private life is nobody else's business. Like, I'm given, like, this is this is about the music and this is about, like, hello, I'm playing here, here is my face. And then... It, it used to be that um, I... What, the, part of the journey I made with this record was is that I was with, like, a management team who were a really bad fit overall. And I didn't realise that until later. And one of the main reasons that I realised that looking back is that they were really pushing me to make more of my private life online. Mm-hmm. But they come from a world where it's it's about building celebrity around an artist. And oh. that's how you build them. And the definition of someone who's a celebrity is someone whose private life is just out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm quite, I'm, you know, I'm really, dis, I'm just beyond disinterested with the idea of people knowing what I had for tea or mm. people like, because... You know, loads of it's, the thing that amuses me is 
what I share online isn't like this perfectly curated thing. It's just I just don't feel like showing people a lot of stuff because for the same reasons as you. You're married, you have a life out with that. And your life has meaning beyond the music you play, right? And it almost cheapens it to make it part of your social media presence. And I think that there's people who assume loads about me based on what I choose to share online. And I go, I'm not going to share everything. That would be ludicrous. But yeah. that's the culture people fall into where I but I think I try and look at it in that I would never tell an anecdote that I wouldn't tell in the pub, if you get me. Like and yeah. I try to be as close to who I am on my reels as I am in real life. No pun intended. But it's, it is one of those things where you inevitably end up having to play some character, even if that character is still you. Like, if you're shattered and you're like, oh, under the real... No one's, no one's going to watch that, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, yeah, no, the, the... Yeah, certainly what I present on social media is me, but it's just part of me. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's like a, a slice of me, and it's like, it's sincere, but it's like, there's, there's other stuff that's like... Um, I think that's where a lot of the kind of people start to fall foul of poor mental health is because they suddenly give everyone everything on social media and then it's too late to like say actually that part's off limits if yeah, you've already absolutely. gone but but it's for folk i suppose like for folk who've been in the game a wee while you know a wee bit better if you're really young you don't and it's having to learn that the hard way must be excruciating i mean right? as someone who is really young uh, i hardly agree <laughs> I'm glad I came on the Wayne's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really interesting earlier when you said that you found a following in people who were really into what your music and what you're, uh-huh. you know, what what you're selling with that in Toronto and America. Mm-hmm. Was there a point with your socials that you saw that translate to the Glasgow music scene or yeah. Scottish yeah, yeah, music yeah, yeah. scene? There was a specific sea change with it in 2019. So. I uh, I was quite lucky that I put this album first album at myself and every when you put out a first album anything that happens is a happy accident mm. right you're not there's no plan you're just okay, if it happens happy days if not like I tried whatever and in January there was a pitchfork piece called um, the album that changed how I felt about identity based art which is a pretty good first thing in pitchfork ever well, and, yeah, I, yeah. and after yeah. that. Uh, loads of things started trickling in, like White Days, Celtic Connections, and a lot of people like um, taking notice of me in a way that they wouldn't before. And it's this, you have a journey with it, because obviously in 2020, everyone was doing the look at racist, I'm not thing. So loads of people were like, kind of pretending to be into what I did. And I'm like, I don't feel entitled to anyone's music, but if you don't like it, that's absolutely okay. Hmm. I make a specifically divisive racket. It's no for everybody. But I think I had to kind of draw the line at, there are people who will discover you and then be really into you. You can't be cynical about that. Mm-hmm. And I have as many, I have loads of fans in Scotland and they all have um, really specific, it's fascinating when you do the research into what kind of people are into you. Like for example, uh, people from the islands really enjoy what I do, which is really random because I was discovered by this Gaelic speaking society called Kayla's Crack and the platform Gaelic language. And mm-hmm. they put, I don't know if the two of you are aware of them at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, into a couple of the nights. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely cracking. And uh, I always go down. And the um, Laurie and Babs who run it, and uh, Robert, uh, they had me on their show. To t- I don't speak a word of Gaelic, not even a wee bit. But mm. in January of of this year, I was paired with a singer based in Glasgow briefly, originally from Sky called Deirdre Graham. Mm. And uh, Shona Aitken from, like, she has that jazz show on BBC Radio Scotland. We did, like, a commission thing where we took all these protest tunes about the Highland Clearances, hundreds of years old, mm-hmm. and reworked them into, like, our own kinds of music, if you want. Mm-hmm. And... You know, loads of people were really going for the kind of music, I mean, the kind of guitar playing I do and the kind of like composition stuff. And loads of people bought my record afterwards as Mm. well from that community. So I'd become really cynical for a wee while. But you have to just be open to people discovering you in post. And a thing, a word of wisdom I would that really resonated with me a wee while back that I heard was... um, Everything's got the Coke life cycle now because of the internet's permanence, right? You put a song out, that song doesn't do very well today, that doesn't mean it's not going to do well in a mm-hmm. couple of years. There's tunes that have gone viral years after they've been written yeah. because it's built up steam out with the algorithm, the mm-hmm. dreaded algorithm, and gone. <laughs> well, it's like people have just randomly found it and shared it around. Because my first album is finding loads of people in like 
the south of America than out. And I have to figure out how to get to them in the physical gig sense. But yeah. at least it's like people in Glasgow are discovering what I do. And like, because... I think when you do an album cycle alone and you don't have a big team behind you, you get burnt out and then the songs don't change, but your opinion on them is constantly fluctuating, yeah. isn't it? And you're like, these are the worst songs ever. I <laughs> can't imagine anybody liking this. And then the next day you're like, these are amazing. This is a masterpiece. And you just, you're never in the middle where you're like, these are just some songs that are whatever. <laughs> and it's just really frustrating that you can't just be mid about everything, eh? But it's like... I contrast the first record where I had to do the doors for the gig and then play the gig and it was just you were just beyond shattered and this gig it's like there's more a bit more infrastructure and people from Glasgow are taking notice and it's a beautiful thing to be able to reach the people where you live but mm-hmm. if you need to go on a bit of a, a journey to do that that's not the end of the world because you've kind of got to accept that it's not just Glasgow it's London it's mm-hmm. Nashville, it's New York. Everywhere's got the kinds of music that do well. And if you want to not do that, you've kind of got to be patient about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, you've you've like put in so much graft and I think that when you do really reach out to people and engage with people like that, then uh, they will keep coming back and they will kind of really invest in, in your music as well. It's amazing as well that some of the connections I've made, like, uh, I won't name him, obviously, but he, uh, I have a fan who lives in Florida, mm. and he lives and dies by stuff that I've long lost interest in. I'll be like, he, he keeps sharing a song of my first record, and I'm just looking at it, and I'll just go, I don't even like that song. Why does he <laughs> like <laughs> He likes it. So I'm going to give you a wee content warning here. In the next section, we discuss poor mental health and we touch on suicide. Now, if that's not something you're wanting to encounter today, you can skip on to 35 minutes and 12 seconds. He messaged me and he said something really like, I think the problem is sometimes you need to know where to draw a line in the sand a wee bit. Because he was talking about how someone really close to him had committed suicide. And I was like, I want to connect with this person, but I'm also not a therapist. There's not really anything I can offer beyond just a pally-like chat with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he... um, is really excited for the new record and his support means so much to me, not least because he's in Florida. And could you think of any more opposite to here than like Florida, right? You I thought there was a lot of bams in Florida. <laughs> Different shades of bam, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but it's like, yeah, it's like someone really wanted to connect with me with some really personal information about themselves. But I'm also like, I wish I could be there for you. But a, a major journey, I'm sorry, a major milestone for me in mental health was learning that you have capacity that's finite. You can mm-hmm. only be there for so many people. And if like you're married, you know, you're what your partner comes at first, right? And then you've got family and then you've got your best pals. And then you want your fans to be people that care about you and you care about them, but there is a finite amount you can do for them. And that's, it's been hard for me because I grew up caring for two disabled parents. So my prerogative is to be there as much as possible for everyone. And you mm-hmm. can't do that. And that's, yeah. that's a life lesson for me, you know? Uh-huh. And I, I think that um, again, like social media can kind of really. It used to just be if you'd have kind of occasional intense conversations at the yeah. merch stall or something, but now if you're chatting to someone on social media and then they do open up to you because they feel like your music has touched them in a certain way, they open up to you because say you've spoken about mental health Absolutely. on the internet. You do then feel like a, a responsibility to make sure that you don't do anything to worsen their situation. Mm-hmm. Like um, yeah. yeah, and then that kind of line kind of becomes a bit of a curve as you try and accommodate, you know, you want someone to feel better and you want someone to get the support they need, but then also like a, you don't get a, a counselling uh, kind of course as part of being a musician. Oh, yeah. 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 I think what frustrates me as well is that he's just like he wants me to play a gig for him so badly and yet I like you you know, for anyone who's not aware, go, coming from the US to play in the UK is technically manageable. The other way around is nigh on impossible oh, it's, independently. It's horrendous. Yeah. And like if you have infrastructure, if you have a label and even if you have like a good enough lawyer, you might be okay, but you need 
quite a lot of money, you mm-hmm. know, a prohibitive yeah. amount in a lot of cases to get there. And it hurts because there's certain parts of the US, like New York and Florida and like places like that, where I have a fan base there who re- who've been waiting years to see me play. And there's a part of me that worries that by the time I get to them, they'll have all moved on. Mm-hmm. But you've just kind of got to accept it is what it is. And if you build up a following elsewhere where you live, Glasgow, etc., then maybe one day that day will come. But it's an interesting, it's a privilege problem to have for sure. You know, because there's people who are like, no one's listening to them anywhere and they're frustrated about that. For me, it's like, I can't get to the people who really love what I do. Uh-huh. But to have them in the first place is an immeasurable privilege, you know. Yeah. It, it's a real problem recently as well. So like US is prohibitively expensive. It costs like a tenth of what it does to come from the US to the UK to mm. play is to go over there. But after Brexit, um, our touring possibilities have shrank further. And Absolutely, th- yeah. I think what's really been unhelpful is that um, uh, uh, kind of a, you know, a new story about the fact it's like another 19 EU states um, have like removed visa mm-hmm. um, requirements for touring musicians yeah. and everyone's like, oh, that's fine then. And it's like, well, that wasn't the main prohibitive factor. It was the carnies that you need to account for every single bit of equipment that are really expensive yeah. when you're also trying to do a tour and pay everyone and eat. And it's just, it feels like we are getting more and more hemmed into the actual touring circuit that we can do. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, Canada, because they don't do visas in the way that America do, mm-hmm. I've always been really hospitable, which is lucky for me because I've always like found a lot of kinship with people who play and live there, but... Yeah, getting to the States, now getting to Europe is so challenging. Mm. And it's frustrating in many ways because there's potentially a massive untapped crowd for any band abroad, isn't there? Mm. So the idea that you now have to, you're stuck in the UK. And when you think of what, like, London is like in terms of getting there. Mm. Like, I, I for, it's kind of like speedrunning developing. Like, it's like speedrunning destroying your mental health in a sense. But mm. I would do this thing where there was cheap flights to London and I would yeah. finish work at 6.30 on Friday, go to London and then come back on Sunday. And mm. I did that like 10, 20 times this year. And it's paying dividends now that the album's coming out because DJs know my stuff. They're going to remix it. Mm-hmm. I have these relationships with people. But it, it sucks at the same time that I've had to do that, you know, that I've had to go down. And having the privilege to be able to afford like flights and trains and stuff has yeah. been great. Great. But why do I have to do that? Why can't I just build it where I live? Everyone's stuck. I mean, I don't know if you two feel the same that you have to go to London a lot and you have yes. to just build like. Yeah, I mean, London's a complex one, I think, mm-hmm. in a multitude of ways. As, uh-huh. a, as a musician, particularly as a Scottish musician, yeah, I think right. it's always we have to travel down. I think from the London side or even the session pool, because that's very much the kind of land that I roam. You're not touched if you say that you're from. Glasgow by artists in London at times it's difficult, it's complex, you're better hiding that you live up here and just getting your own way down there. So the, 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 there's a comedy to that in that like that does happen to be where people go hey there's this thing happening in the Sony building and I'm like oh, man that's like 10 hours away <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh-huh. and I'm just and I always like I, I, I sit there and go should I just tell them nah I'll just live the lie it's fine yeah. <laughs> because it's like you could just be like I'm really busy mm. I'm in Watford Junction that day where I live and yeah. cannot be there <laughs> whereas you're like oh man they're going to learn that I'm secretly because there's so many Scottish people in London that you can yeah. get away with it it's totally you could totally dupe people into yeah but then the more I think you get out on, on tour and you're mm. kind of operating in different circles of people you'd be like alright you know, where are you from? We're like, oh, the tour started in London, but I actually live in, like, Leeds. Or, do you know, nobody actually within, like, even yeah. the crew side of things, when it actually gets to it in these bigger tours, mm. they're not all London-based. <laughs> David, it's the Prosecco! I wanted to make a really divisive point. Okay. I think you do yeah. vibe with, actually, in that, um, obviously, I'm swept up into the whole people of colour, non-white people playing music thing. Yeah. And in some ways, that's been incredible. Like, I met the band Big Joni, who are doing quite well just now, and they put on a, an event every year in London called Decolonize Fest. Yeah. That was my big London break. I played to a sea of people who got the politics behind what I did, and loads of people vibe with it. Met loads of people that night who I'm still mates with. But mm. the problem is, is that... If the posh people have more melanin, they're still posh, eh? It's still a bit of a problem. And I find that 
that ha- what ends up happening is there develops like in in the quest for diversity trademark it's like people who aren't white end up being only allowed to sing about whitey bad and i'm like i grew up in a really rough part of glasgow where a lot of homelessness was white men and a lot of class privilege is afforded of rich people of color in the industry but if i talk about that cancelled do you know what i mean and it's just it frustrates me as a scottish person where my kinship is apparently posh people from london who are the same color as me Mm. it goes back to the whole oh man racism is finished rishi sunak is prime minister and i'm like i don't care what color the boot is if it's the same color as me it's even more embarrassing right but the way i look at it is is that we are getting to this point where the barriers to entry are so prohibitive because uh, i don't know why it was like something out of like a marvel movie you know when the supervillains laughing in a movie and they're like look how evil he is there was a moment like that when the mercury music prize did the geography of where all the artists came from and they were all just from satellite towns around london and i was just like go to leeds man or go to newcastle there's some cracking music even from like the middle of england that people like it's quite far north isn't it we're absolutely done for when i know when like nottingham is too north we might as well be on the fucking moon to be honest I'm really into the band Talk Talk, and their singer Mark mm. Hollis yeah. is famously really private. He released two, three things after the band broke up, mm. and you never heard from him until you learned he died. Mm-hmm. And Frank Ocean's the same. There are artists who are infamously very private, mm-hmm. and they're held to this incredible. He doesn't need to post because mm. he is just good at music. And it's like, I love both of those musicians dearly, like Blonde and Laughing Stocker Records, who influenced loads of stuff that I've made. But if those two artists weren't on major labels, they'd be in the same boat that the rest of us are in. You really have to consider this out with the vacuum of, he's just a genius, man. He just doesn't have to post this. No, he has like 200K of advertising running on the back and in the background. Like how did 2 million people see one post? It's because it was advertised. And I think it's just letting people behind the curtain, even if you love that artist, you know, because if Mark Hollis was some indie label guy, like, he'd be cringe posting with the rest of us. He'd be posting pictures of his facial hair trying to plug a gig as well. It was, um, yeah, and I think that one of the things that maybe we should talk a bit more is the fact that the, the entire music industry and landscape has changed so entirely. So both of those mm. artists you mentioned there, they were um, popular popular recording artists uh, before the essentially the collapse of the music industry from about 2002 seven onwards with the advent of various different missteps from labels and the welcoming legalised piracy with Spotify, like just the theft of streaming. Yeah, basically. I think it just became, I don't know, I have like two it's funny, right, because I always point to folk like Nine Inch Nails and Radiohead for for their hand in that because did you notice that I love In Rainbows as a record. Mm-hmm. The last time I saw Radiohead and loved it, they were touring that record. However, they put In Rainbows there and like, you can pay whatever you want. And then six months later, here is the In Rainbows box set. It is £180. Mm. And not all of us have box sets that we can flog to make back the money that the, the streaming didn't make, guys. Like, yeah. And Nine Inch Nails were the same. Like, That's great that you think that music should be free, but you have gear endorsements. You go, you have a fan base that you've built up by touring. And for the rest of us, we're now being dragged to the point where music, our music has been commodified. Like I have been hammered over the fact that I don't release music every six weeks. Yeah, it's murder, isn't it? Because like, what's next? It's like, well, I've just literally released an album, a full album, a week ago. Well, yeah, but it, it was like um, I was in a call with someone who worked at Spotify Editorial, and they were like, we only do songs with uh, really interesting stories. And I'm like, I have 10 songs. Pick a random song. I will give you an amazing <laughs> story behind it. And he was like, uh, 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 like uh, go on, come on, call me out, call me out. And he was at uh, track five, and I went, a man uh, in a wheelchair was assaulted in India for not standing up for the national anthem in 2016. I was speechless and I was like do you want more breakup songs I you sad mm. they're only after one thing and that's like the commodification of the art that we make like you've probably put your heart over an album and you've worked relentlessly hard on it you know and it's like even if you say you don't front a band you must I, I imagine that when you're tracking something that's you putting everything, oh, everything. into it yeah, yeah exactly everything. right yeah, yeah. and it's like 
you know, I've seen you both play over the years in various different bands, and it's like, I, I wouldn't call you guys as like, I wouldn't call either of you like the kind who are just, you're checked out, and you're like, I can't wait for my dinner later. <laughs> you're into what you're doing at yeah. the time. And the idea of that being commodified till it's a Mars bar coming out of a vending machine, no thank you. Mm. And it sucks that the music industry is pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. Mm. And I'm in two camps where, on one hand, I'm raging about it, but on the other hand, I'm trying to find a way where I can go, how can I find a way to do this without selling my soul? Mm -hmm. And some of that's boiled down to, what if I took the stems from the album and I gave it to folk that I've met in the past year and I've gone, oh, I really like that you listened to my record. I, know, I noticed that you, do, that you rap as well. Fancy doing a freestyle over it. And you've got to be less precious about having this body of work and nothing else around it. You almost need a tiered system of... Um, here's the stuff that I'm going to put out that's going to get people to come to the album. But in general, I'm still going to be really protective over albums as albums. Yeah, like yeah. that as a because we've all grown up in the age where albums were like this amazing mythical thing that one day you would have an amazing album in your hands that you'd written. Mm -hmm. And now it's like the album is dead, man. But then when you try and apply for like press, it's like I only write about albums. <laughs> it's like which is which is true. Yeah, you know? and it's like I. I was really lucky that um, I went to, my wife's an academic and um, she took me to a talk, a friend of hers who's also an academic did, and he did a history of recorded music and he talked about how different units of storage for music defined how much music would be listened to at once. Mm -hmm. Like singles going back a certain time were two and a half minutes long because that's all the music that could fit on one side, right? Yeah. And then that became a bit longer and then that became a bit longer. but. That me like, but then it was like CDs where albums could be longer than half an hour, and then you realize that people don't really want that much music at once. They want like a wee collection of tunes. Because even I think even if you ask people who are like all about bangers and stuff now and playlists, mm -hmm. they've still got favorite albums. I'm yeah. I'm lowest to find a, sorry I'm struggling to find anybody who's like you can't think of a single record that you love. You know, like, yeah, if yeah. I stick rumours on, you're not going to be really into it. Is that what you're telling me? And it's just, I don't know why that was my generic choice of album everyone likes. Solid. But it's Solid yeah, choice. Because oh, yeah. I have, like, no offence to them, but, like, some of my in-laws are as amusical as it gets. And even one of them has rumours on CD <laughs> in yeah. the car. And the way I look at it is just that, like, it's really weird that, to me, the idea of the album as a unit of, like, of curation you've curated these tunes it could be 25 tunes that you've cut down to 10 or it could be 10 individual songs about mm -hmm. a thing that you really care about or even just i went on a journey i wrote these tunes when i reached my destination that's the 10 songs that are going mm -hmm. to be on the record it's like you know it's weird that we're being told that that doesn't matter to us when the proof is there like i think for folk who live in glasgow you're probably aware of like was it that start to end series where yeah. bands would play like albums all the way through and it's like uh, uh, you go why do people people don't typically know all the musicians involved but they'll know the album you know is Charlotte being one of said musicians involved I've done a few maybe five now. did you do the Joni Mitchell one yes yeah that's yeah because it was like um, Court and Spark I think that's the one I, that's my favourite Joni Mitchell stunning record. album isn't it it's yeah, beautiful yeah, yeah. like um, Carna Hill is my favourite tune of hers which no one everyone's really weirded out by that like, no your favourite song has to be on blue and yeah. I'm like no because <laughs> no. <laughs> if you write down Carna Hill on paper or you just show someone what it's meant to be about you'd be like what I don't want to listen to that but then you put it on it's just the arrangement the lyrics her voice it's all there and it's just but it works in an album kind of way i can imagine that in a playlist I, mean, I put it on playlists and stuff but it's just that's a song that was written in the era of albums that had aesthetics and their yeah. own like and you know people don't buy singles as lathe cuts and stuff as often anymore but mm -hmm. they'll buy albums on vinyl if they like the album enough i mean when you put an album out i'm sure you're getting people going when can i get that on vinyl mate or you got oh yeah CDs? No, that's that's why um any record i do always make sure it comes out in vinyl because that's um, what people still buy. Although CDs are making quite a resurgence as well. <laughs> Cassette as well. Yeah, and um, anything physical and like the audience that I have for the, the Broken Chanter stuff certainly mm -hmm. is a really kind of vinyl vinyl minded audience. Yeah. Um, that's a, but that's a great achievement uh, though. But think about I feel it, really grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, you should, but you should give yourself a pat on the back for just the fact that you're not courting an audience who are like, oh, I'll just stream it, mate, it's fine. Yeah, it's. I try not to 
I try not to think too much about streaming metrics and that sort of thing because yeah. I know that there are, you know, I know how many physical copies are out there and that's comforting uh, that people have actually bought. And also I spend so much time telling people about how negative an impact that uh, streaming has on musicians and how and how it's not the best way to, to interact with us or to support us or to consume music that... I think maybe people do take that on, on board, and I think they do. If yeah. you think about like when someone buys a T-shirt at a gig, how many streams is yeah. that? Exactly. So yeah. you were going to say no, no. I, I totally agree. I, I always think when, like, I, I play for Broken Chanter as well, but I really think you've tapped into that audience that listen to you through the gig. There's a connection, a relationship built, an understanding, and that always translates into merch and and vinyl and. It's holding that physical, like that's the people, the demographic you want, and I think you've you've tapped into that as well. I put like a huge amount of thought and like effort into the actual package as well. Of so like the, the, the liner notes, the artwork, photographs, the artwork, all of it's kind of like I want this to be as nice as possible to look to make you feel as involved as with with what you're listening to as possible. That's that like that whole thing is part of why I became. A musician, mm. like I've got such fond memories of sitting with my parents and them both showing me absolutely records and the artwork behind it, and let's look at the lyrics and the, like all of it. Yeah, it's more of an experience than just vague hum while you're totally. getting on with something else. I mean, it can also be that, but yeah. there's a mm. spectrum, and not allowing that spectrum to exist is the thing that really gets me. And um, uh, it's funny because I take the whole artwork thing really seriously mm. as well. Like I used to, when I was a promoter in a different, in a former life, I used to do my own posters and I like taking the names of all the bands and making typogra- typographic art out of it. And mm. now I do that with the lyrics in my songs. Mm. And by the time this episode comes out, it will have happened, but I'm doing like a giveaway around the record where one person who's from my mailing list is just going to get a print, one run of one print sent mm. to them with like the lyrics of the album all contorted into oh, these like kind cool. of designs. But it's like that's the kind of relationship you want. You can only build up over time. You can't chuck that at people, mm. and it takes time. But in the modern industry, you need everything needs to happen really quickly, and it's just it's just not going to. Do you know what I mean? I find myself kind of reacting against that quite stubbornly. Like, good, good. Um, the immediacy of like, well, even things like being told you've got, what is it, like 15 seconds to grab the attention, that's it. Like that, that is it at the moment. Uh-huh. Like everything uh-huh. is so immediate. So songs are literally now being uh, written with Spotify in mind. And what's the point? I'm so, yeah, do you know what it is as well? That I've been, I get hammered over my music doesn't fit a, a vibe enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, all right, well, I mean, I don't, that doesn't mean I'm not going to write, continue writing music like that. So the, the tune I mentioned earlier that's about the guy in the wheelchair being assaulted for not standing up in inverted commas for the national anthem. The intro has the national anthem in it. The melody, it's it's just different enough so I want to get done for copyright. But the intro, <laughs> I had a Bruce Springsteen moment when I dropped that song because loads of right-wing people shared the song on release thinking, oh, this tune's got the national anthem in the intro. It's right. like a nationalist banger. And I'm like, no, you misunderstood yeah. it. But for me, that kind of construct is way more important than I wrote a song that could be in a Costa playlist somewhere. Mm. There's people who write for sync and their whole career and craft is getting songs that fit a certain vibe perfectly but yeah and that's an art form within yeah. itself mm-hmm. but i think what frustrates me is when folk are like they're miserable writing music because they're now just writing tunes for playlists and yeah. they're like this isn't the kind of music i want to be making but it'll get me there and i'm like it won't get you there though that's the problem because by the time you get good at that that'll change again yeah i'm a firm believer in that um all of these different platforms that we now use are temporary but what will endure is bodies of work albums absolutely and and, uh, also like my mailing list i've got a physical mailing list as well like last year everyone got a christmas card with me cradling one of my cats and that had a download code for (laughs) for um for an ep that nobody else has got but because they have said i like your music enough to engage with to the point of trusting you with my home address like they get sent postcards with the new album artwork on it like a full like I think it was a full month or something before anyone else they got like a code to get it cheaper yeah and it's just like that's a nice wee thing to build that's a community to build and it will long outlast uh, well Twitter <laughs> um, Instagram and uh, Spotify I love the idea if you have all that like oh, but you're, you're not verified though <laughs> I know <laughs> not, I've only got you've only got 7 in your bank account <laughs> 
I have a bit of trivia for you that you're going to love. In the, I think it was either the late 60s or like the early 70s, there was an Italian actor. He was like a pretty boy actor, like... Uh, like a, like a Tom Hardy kind of fella. And he hated how, like, English was just, like, everywhere and you could only be, like, a megastar if you acted in English. So mm. he did a... He released this proto-rap tune where he makes fun of English. And if you weren't listening closely, the tune, one, it slaps. Uh-huh. Two... It, if you weren't listening, it totally just sounds like someone singing in English. But if you listen a bit closer, it's total nonsense. Right. And he's just making fun of what English music sounds like. And there's things he goes, where, there's bits where he goes, all right, all right, at the end of every sentence. And I'm like, that is what English sounds like. This guy has nailed it. The end of every voice note that David and I send each other pretty much finishes with, tonight. <laughs> Is that, is that like Metallica? <laughs> uh, I think it, it was more Gallagher than Metallica. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even though, remember, like, do you want to go to the seaside? <laughs> like, that whole oh, thing. Yeah. Like, what is it? Was like They fa- never spoke like that. Five years ago, that was, like, kind of the advent of, like, the class shift. It was like, I really want to dance. <laughs> With, like, everyone was saying, dance. Dance. It was fine when Sophia was back, so, so oh, yeah. she can but, do whatever she wants. <laughs> Right, we're gonna we're gonna hit you up for our. It's my favourite question. Um, was your worst experience at a motorway services? The preamble is is that uh, I've only been on two tours where we drove. Most mm-hmm. of my tours because I travelled solo were on trains, mm-hmm. so I've been quite lucky in that regard. My worst time uh, was a uh, tour support for an artist, and we were in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love this artist that I was touring with to bits. They're one of my closest friends. They've uh, we've had some incredible experiences together. But do you know when you get to know someone and then you've decided that you care about them beyond their music and you're Mm. like i want you to just be happy mate i want you to be healthy Mm -hmm. and they're like we've been on this tour for three days and i've not seen you go to bed have you been to bed yet mate have you Uh, and i don't mean did you go to bed and only get like a few hours in? i'm like did you go to bed at all have you and they're like um yeah yeah totally totally and i'm just like no no you're twitching quite a bit mate i think you've not been to bed yet and there's a hierarchy, right? When the artist you're touring with is really established and they've got their millions of monthlies and hundreds of fans at every gig and you're just Jimmy Nabody on the gig mm. roster, you're like, I can't pull rank here as an artist. Maybe I can pull rank as your friend and just be like, come on, mate, just, just go to bed, please. Like After the gig, just just have one bit pint and then at midnight, just, just turn in. I'll wake you up in the morning. It'll be lovely. Sleep. Try it. It's new. It's great. But you wouldn't listen to me. And this came to a head when, obviously, you've been to Toronto, like Canada in general. There's a Tim Hortons everywhere, isn't mm. there? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I started colloquially referring to them as the Timmies by the end of it. And I'd be like, I'm just going to go with the Timmies. And no one knew what I was talking about. And I would, even if I, they saw me walk towards the Tim Hortons, they couldn't put one and one together and be like, oh, he said the Timmies as in the Tim Hortons. They were like, what's the Timmies? Where is he going? You see, go like, where? and I just feel like, anyway, we went to the, the Timmy's and uh, I remember like, we just all got something really basic to eat, like a coffee, mm-hmm. like a donut. And we were just like, we had like a seven hour drive. So it was just mm-hmm. did it. This was like 2am or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like no cars in the parking, in the park parking lot, mm-hmm. except us. And we were just sat in, and uh, the, the artist of was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom, right? I'll be right back. And it was like one of these, like the bathroom was like next to the restaurant bit. Mm-hmm. And it was really, sorry, it was just really quiet. And I just heard them viscerally being sick for about 20 minutes. But it was like comedy because it was so quiet. And all you hear is like him retching in the background. And it did the hero's journey of being like really uncomfortable to be really funny, funny. to really uncomfortable and then really <laughs> funny again. And then when they go back to the car, they were like... Feel better now. <laughs> we were all just sitting there like lobster red, trying not to, because mm. we'd been on a journey as well, <laughs> just yeah. listening to this. And because and, and there'd be times where they'd find like be looking for big philosophical reasons as to why they were like, "I'm really ill just now. It must be it was some kind of big artistic reason." Mm. Where, like, no, just go to bed. <laughs> Sleep. Stop. Just stop. Mm-hmm. Just, just like just. Just go sleep for a bit and it was legit like uh, I had to be like I'm not going to go on the tour anymore and it was like but if we leave you are you, are you not kind of fucked and I was like yeah but 
I'll do it if it means you'll go to sleep. And that's what it took for this person well, to just okay. go to sleep for a li- I, I fully thought I was going to get dingied in the middle of something. <laughs> Left. Like, no, hey, uh, Timmy's. <laughs> I don't know which Timmy's I'm at. They all look the same. But yeah, it's like... Um, that was probably the grimmest moment, but it had its own comedy to it. I think you've got. A, I think your brain involuntarily finds something fun funny. Of, yeah, Because yeah. Mm. Yeah. I know I've been some of the episodes that you guys have, and yeah, some of them are grim, but they are still visceral. So yeah, I mean, exactly. that's another visceral. That's another fluid one. Yeah. Um, Why is it that it's never like? Oh, it was this bad. It always has to be bad in a way that's really like. I just. I love it. I just. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It always is uh, just. Yeah. Um, well thank you um, so much for joining us my pleasure thanks so much for having me on had a lovely time that was a a, a lot of fun Um, it was amazing and uh, yeah I good luck with the record Um, can you give us the dates again remind everyone yeah absolutely Um, the next date when this episode airs will be the Glasgow launch show which is on the 23rd of November at Audio there's a few tickets left please move quickly Um, the new album's called Lal it's a concept album about Bollywood and uh, gonna have my full band and some other surprises including both my drummers on show that night so 23rd of uh, 23rd of November at Audio 7.30pm doors Elizabeth Electra supporting and got Hip Hop Scotland and DJ, and it's going to be a great night. Everyone, come out. This podcast was recorded for Glad Radio at the Deep End in Glasgow, Scotland, under the watchful eye of Richard the Raging Bull, and edited by me, David McGregor. Today's episode was written by me and Charlotte. All music composed by me and our. This episode was sponsored by the generic antacid brand that has burrowed into your cookies ahead of the Christmas party season. I feel like I rambled quite a bit there. David! Glad Radio! على الأثير الرقمي وحسب الطلب نحن Glad Radio. Цифровом формате и по запросу мы Glad Radio. Questa era una produzione Glad Radio. You're listening to a Glad Radio podcast. To listen to more and to get involved, visit glad.radio.